Hello, and welcome to What the Fox Podcast. This is one of the co-hosts, Amber Ross, here with just a brief message before we jump into this week's episode. I wanted to pop in and just remind you that right now we are taking a little bit of time to bring in some throwbacks of our fan favorite episodes as we create some um, mental health space this summer. And as part of that, we want to remind you that What the Fox podcast is sponsored by Therapy Appointment. Therapy Appointment is a practical tool for starting, growing, and managing your practice built for therapists by therapists. And we are so grateful for their support. Also grateful to all of our wonderful listeners. And without further ado, please stay tuned for this week's throwback episode. When you don't take time to look at it through other people's eyes, take some time and reflect on what you believe in your soul. Cause that is the key to life. You gotta let the negativity go. Hi, What the Foxers. Before we get started with today's episode, we just want to give a gentle trigger warning as today's episode does include a guest speaker who shares her personal experience that does involve domestic violence as well as violence as a whole. So with that being said, we just wanted to give you a heads up before you get started today, but thank you so much for tuning in to What the Fox podcast. Hello and welcome to What the Fox podcast with your hosts, Lindsay Fox and Amber Ross. As a reminder, today's podcast episode is sponsored by Therapy Appointment. Therapy Appointment is the practical tool for starting, growing, and managing a practice. So today we have the lovely Ashley Erti with us today. She is actually one of my colleagues uh, over at New Beginnings Wellness Center, and we have her here as a guest speaker to really dive into the world of gratitude by sharing her lived experience um, as a human first, therapist <laughs> second, third, fourth. <laughs> There's so much yeah. more to her than that. Yes, yes, 100% yes. We're more than what we do, right? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. So one thing I love is that, Ashley, I would I would love for you to just sort of share how you identified yourself in that initial, we asked all of our guest speakers to kind of jump into like an initial bio. and uh, I'm wondering if you can kind of share what you said in that with us for starters. Um, in my bio, oh goodness, now my brain is like, going, I'm going to have a complete brain fart. Of I can share it with you if you don't remember the exact thing, but there was yeah, something about it that wonderful. stood out to me. No problem. So Ashley had said, I am a young mother. I am a young mother who decided to choose success over being a statistic. I managed to turn my barriers into benefits, pain into power and self-doubt into self-confidence. I'm sorry. All the snaps for that. Yes, ma'am. I was like, wow, I sounded really good. Man, you did. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. You sounded fabulous because that's just who you are. And I love that because whenever I read this bio, my initial thought was, you know what, Ashley, Ashley has so much to offer and there's so many different facets of her life and, and not one piece of her, like two sentence bio, did she even begin to mention her role as a therapist or as an entrepreneur or all these other things that we're going to get into later. Yes. I felt like just my bio, I really wanted to capture just who I felt I was as a person outside of just like my roles or anything like that. Just like really what I stand for and what I feel like if I was to write, you know, a book about me, like what would be my main focus and what would I want people to take from that? And that bio really just kind of, you know, it speaks to that. It sure it does. does. It's powerful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Thank as you. with all of our guest speakers, we kind of dive in by 
saying, okay, let's, let's kind of look at family of origin first, because when we kind of think about where we began in life and, uh, you know, if we're fast tracking to where we are today, it starts with the beginnings of our life and sort of like our family culture, um, our upbringings, the shared beliefs that were bestowed upon us. So I'm wondering before we dive into, you know, the part of your life, which was like teenage years that changed everything for you. Can you kind of share a little bit about your family culture for starters and sort of like what life looked like as a young Ashley? For sure. Um, I'd say I came from a pretty cookie cutter background. I grew up with a two parent household. My parents have actually been married for 35 years. They just celebrated their anniversary in October. Um, I had two younger siblings. We pretty much had like the house with the picket fence and the dog. And, you know, my parents, they didn't drink. They didn't smoke. They didn't party. They went to work every day. You know, we had a really stable environment, um, very secure. So it was interesting how I still managed to um, go on another path, but um, <laughs> overall, like I really grew up with really wonderful parents that just really, you know, were very stable, very secure, and I had really great relationships with them growing up. I mean, obviously, there was, yeah, there was the regular like quarrels and stuff like that um, with one another, but overall, I had a really great upbringing, so it's kind of interesting how I managed to step out of that and still, um, you know, make some not so very good decisions as a teenager, but. Congratulations on being human. <laughs> Yay! That's kind of what I was thinking. I'm like, man, you know, we all have choices. Um, yeah. and that's what being a person is. So, Hey, <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of love, I, I thank you for sharing that because mm. I think that as we get into your story, a big part of this podcast is questioning social norms and breaking barriers. Yep. And a big part of your story in of itself is the fact that maybe the way life played out for you, it didn't fit the quote unquote stereotypical mold of yeah. you know, the shoulds, so to speak, of how you should fit into XYZ. But you have carved out a beautiful life for yourself um, for where you are today, which is why we're heavily leaning into gratitude for this month. <laughs> um but I, I would like for you to kind of share a little bit about what was it that happened in your teen years that uh, changed everything for you? My environment, my choice and friends. Mm. Um, it was funny because growing up, people would always say to me, my friends that I was hanging out with at the time would say like, why are you hanging out with us? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like the life, you know, the parents that you have, like the life that you have, it just didn't really align with like what I was currently engaging in at that age. And it was just funny, but yeah, my, you know, the environment really just kind of shaped who I was at that moment in the choices that I was making. Mm -hmm. I started running with like, you know, a troubled crowd and you know, as a young teenager, you're really impressionable. And, you know, I just, I started mimicking and mirroring a lot of the behaviors that I was seeing my friends engage in. And, and that just really like, I don't know, it launched me into this really awful downward spiral. I mean, thinking about who I was as a teenager in comparison to who I am now is like completely different, but obviously, yes, I'm a human and it's definitely shaped me and molded me into who I am today. But I mean, I was... I mean, I, I was smoking weed. I was getting suspended from school. I was arrested. I went to jail. Um, As a teenager. Wow. Yeah. I went to jail. I was stealing cars. I mean, I was. Holy cow. 
Yeah, it's funny because I'm really transparent about these things now because I think that when you get to a specific place in your life, people kind of like, you know, have this idea about you that you're like, Mm. you know, this untouched, amazing person that everything was just so flawless and seamless. And they don't really understand, like, I was God awful back in the day. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, I was a terrible teenager. Um, So it's just, you know, I share those experiences because it does make me more relatable, you know, and helps people understand like, yeah, you can still do all of these things and then still end up, you know, growing and changing and, you know, accomplishing all that you set out to. But yeah, I was a terrible teenager. I was constantly suspended and expelled from school for fighting. Um, Wow. Yeah. Yep. I went to jail for um, 90 days when I was young. Yep. In a 90 days. Wow. Yep. Yep. So that was an interesting time in my life. But I mean, I wasn't even I was like not doing my work. I was skipping class constantly. I mean, I was just like I said, I was in a really bad downward spiral when I was younger. And it it just led me to, you know, being really like hypersexual and just being really promiscuous, which ultimately led to, you know, me getting pregnant. Um, Wow. So yeah, that's how that's how we got there. And well, you said that you were a young mother. So in, so in your bio, so with that being said, how old were you when you uh, got pregnant? I was 16. Wow. Yep. 16 and pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sixteen. So I have to ask before we go to like that moment and they may be connected. I am a huge proponent of like your past does not have to dictate your future and all that. So first of all, like congratulations on stepping out of that and making like using those pivotal moments and those um, setbacks to like lay the foundation for an incredible life. Thank you. Second. Yeah. Second of all, sitting in jail for that period of time, like what goes through your mind at like, how old were you? And what did that look like? Feel like, I mean, that had to have been a shocking moment. Um, to be frank, what the, what I was thinking was what the hell are you doing here? Ashley, you do not belong here. That was probably one of the changing points in my life where I realized like, this is not where you belong. Like Mm -hmm. it was like that, that slap in the face, like you didn't come from this broken home. Like you have all these supports, you have these resources, you have this stability and security. What the hell are you doing? Like you need to get it together and and cut the nonsense out. And I mean, it was a God awful experience. I mean, you're like completely violated. You know, you have to, you don't have any privacy. You're locked in your room, you know, until, unless you have like rec time or things of that nature, but it's just like, you're around a bunch of troubled, you know, young women that are also struggling in whatever places they are. But I think learning about them more and realizing the environment and the background that they came from, it was just so different from me. And it was just like, yeah, like I said, that was really just the moment where it was just a slap in the face to me where I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you really yeah. need to start making better choices, you know, because I was young and I was taking risk. And, you know, when you're young, like, you're, you're just, you're not really calculating the consequences that Mm -mm. can come after that. And Mm -hmm. I think that I just got so addicted to the fun and the Mm. risk-taking that I wasn't really considering the consequences. And then I had to obviously experience a really big consequence, which was just like, got to get it together, girl. And it was pretty intense. It was awful. I would, but one of the, um, the counselors there looked at me and said, I just know this will be the last time you ever come through this door. And it was. That's powerful. <laughs> it was the last time. 
Wow. This is a, this is a counselor for the facility where you were staying for 90 days. Yeah. One of the resident, well, one of the res counselors. Yeah. Yeah. She looked at me and said, I know this would be the last time you ever come through those doors. Cause realistically, like with oh, DYS, man. like it's, it's a cycle. Mm -hmm. Like once you go in, it's constant. I mean, there was girls there that were just like, they do five months, they would be back in a month. And she just looked at me and she said, I know you'll never step foot in this building again. And I say, you're damn right. I won't. You're wow. like claiming that manifesting that <laughs> absolutely. This is not happening again. Yes. I mean, whew, never again. Wow. And all I can keep thinking about is like, as you, you know, describe being from a cookie cutter home, I'm just thinking like, what in the world was going through your parents' minds of like, just like, yeah. you know, like how, where did this come from and why is this happening? You know, I just can imagine how much this shook so many different elements of your foundation in that sense too. Absolutely. They were yeah. really disappointed. And I yeah. think that disappointment too was, was like, like really hard for me to, to deal with because I think that anger, like whatever, but like having your parents be genuinely disappointed in you and the choices that you made, that just, that was another, like, you know, slap in the face for me. Like you really, yeah. you have to start making changes because your parents do not deserve those. Right. Well, so, so the, I mean, at this point, then you found out that you were pregnant at, mm -hmm. at 16. So, mm -hmm. you know, what went through your mind when this happened? I'm assuming this was like around the same time that maybe you got out of jail or what have you around the same kind of time set. So like, how, how, how did you cope with that? And what went through your mind when you found this out? So it was about a year after. And I mean, I was starting to make better choices, but I was still on a slippery slope. And, you know, I still was not doing very well in school, skipping a lot of school, just like making really, you know, not so good decisions. And I actually was going into work because I had worked at Price Chopper at that time. And my mom had dropped me off. Um, I was starting to like sleep more. I was just really cranky. Like my mood was fluctuating significantly, um, all of those things. And she just walked in with me to work and was like, I need you to take a pregnancy test. And I was like, you know, super defensive, like, just like, wait, what are you talking about? Because I had no idea. Wow. I, Your no mom idea. is who suggested mom this knew. over you. Yeah. She really didn't wow. know because I honestly, I had no idea. So she walked in, she bought a pregnancy test. She made me go into the bathroom stall. I took taken the pregnancy test and I remember I just sat there on the seat, just like sitting there holding the pregnancy test as it said positive. And I remember that this wave of nausea just hitting me oh. and I puke. And my mom didn't say she didn't knock, she just said it's positive, isn't it? Oh and my then gosh. I even can feel myself like I'm getting triggered. But um, I was gonna say I have chills right now. I do that, too. Like that had yeah. to be oh. Yeah. Just all the, all the feels. Wow. So it was just difficult, you know, and we obviously like, I ended up having to leave work because I was like distraught. Um, yeah. you know, I was crying and the worst part about it is that my mom didn't like, she didn't emotionally react. She was just like stone cold. And like the iciness that came over her literally gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because you could just see how disappointed. And I almost mm -hmm. felt like she was like repulsed. I'm, I That's yeah. a really strong word to use. But like in yeah. the moment, that's how I felt like I was being rejected and I like repulsed her. And she struggled with it significantly um, and really like didn't even talk to me for like weeks, like very bare minimum conversations. Mm -hmm. But um 
so yeah, that was a really difficult experience. You know, she was the one that kind of called it out. Um, Before you even knew. I mean, that's wild. That is a mama was paying attention. Yeah. Mama was on it. (laughs) Like, she was, she was, she knew. And I, I honestly, I had no idea, but then again, I was 16. Like, yeah, you, there's no way. Like I wasn't paying attention to that. I was just out living this life and not really calculating the consequences that could accompany these things. Right. You know? So yeah. Which as we know, just as therapists, I mean, that's, that's something that we speak with our teenagers about now is just the fact Mm -hmm. that our brain is not fully developed at 16. You're not thinking about long-term consequences like that. And if you are having fleeting thoughts around it, it's like, oh, well, it's not going to happen to me. Yeah. That'll Um, never happen. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So you shared uh, previously with, you know, prior to recording it, there was actually a pretty pivotal moment that took place in your life um, while in high school, while pregnant. And it, it honestly seems like it was a game changer with how you chose to pivot everything about your mindset. What was that situation? So, I mean, there was a few, I mean, obviously like the moment that I got pregnant with my daughter, I instantly started making changes. Like I just knew that like, I did not want to be a statistic. And at that time I had a lot of friends that were younger and they were having babies and or already had children and just me being super transparent. I seen the way that they were parenting and I just knew that that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want grandparents that raised their child, uh, their grandchild. I wanted to be invested. I wanted to be a hands-on good mom. And, mm-hmm. you know, in school, just constantly experiencing that doubt, like people were already projecting these doubts on me without even giving me a chance. And obviously like statistically, you know what I'm saying? Like historically that I can, uh, I can see yeah. why those assumptions would be made. Right. But it just, it made me angry. It really yeah. made me angry um, because I felt like people decided who I was before I even had the chance to figure out who I was yeah. and not their right to do. Like that's right. not the choice. 100%. And I had a teacher that was my shop teacher. I was in painting and decorating. And I mean, he treated me like crap. Like I remember I was standing there and he was like, so everyone's saying you're pregnant, huh? And I was like, I'm yeah. sorry, what? Yeah, just, it was he literally looked at me and was like, so everyone's saying that you're pregnant, huh? And I was just like, I mean, not that that's any of your business or anyone else's, but yes, I am. And he was like, oh, that's unfortunate. It'll just be another set of grandparents that have to raise a kid. And I was just like, how the I don't nerve. Know. It's probably not the appropriate platform to say what I said, but I said some. Not oh, very- you can use this. You can use this platform to say whatever the <laughs> hell you want. <laughs> I pretty much said like, well, you can go fuck yourself um, in plain English. And I literally looked at him and I said, watch, I'll make you I'll make sure you eat those goddamn words that come out of your mouth. And, you know, he just it kind of happened like that slander just continued um, throughout school, like he would say, like, this isn't even a place that you should be. You should be oh in an alternative gosh. school with the rest of the pregnant kid girls. And just like the slander just literally continued. Like he would belittle me. He would talk shit to me. Like he would make passive aggressive comments. Um, oh my gosh. He even I'm... said like, go ahead. No, just like my chest is getting tight. Like I'm, I'm feeling my blood boil as you even relive and recall these moments. Like I'm literally pissed off on your behalf for something that happened many years ago, because that is complete and utter garbage. It was awful because, you know, I had some really great supportive teachers and I'd like to speak about that in a second, but this teacher just like, 
was just terrible to me. And I remember he stood there and he looked me dead in the face and said, graduation is next year. And I doubt that you'll be there. And I was just like, you know, like, yeah, but luckily I had a wonderful school adjustment counselor, D Anderson, that I loved that lady. She went to bat for me. She believed in me and just motivated me in ways that I couldn't even imagine. And if it wasn't for her, it would have, that journey would have been extremely difficult. Like she went to bat for me. She was definitely that teacher that, you know, when you think about, you know, your younger years, like that teacher that just really stands out or that educator that stands out to you. And she's definitely that person. Um, She's an amazing woman. And actually I seen her a couple years, uh, like two years ago. And um, she had asked me what I was doing for work. And I said, I'm actually a therapist. And I want to thank you for, motivating me and you know you play a big part in you know the role that I I'm in today and she just started crying and hugging me and said I never doubted you for a minute I just needed to make sure that you believed it so I get emotional thinking about her because she just was like super impactful and important to me but yeah thank god for people like that like honestly I can't props to all the people who spend time in education who like breathe life and love and encouragement into youth and that just I'm glad that someone like that was in your path because if all you had to think about was the man who was being so demeaning and so derogatory, like, Mm -hmm. oh, it breaks my heart, but I'm so glad you had her. Thank you. Um, (laughs) If she happens to listen to this podcast, God bless you. Thank you. (laughs) She is is amazing. But luckily, you know, I really, I mean, that just motivated me. His doubt just really like motivated the shit out Mm. of me. And I just refused. I refuse to like conform to this image that he thought, you know, that he conjured up of me. And I was just like, no, I'm going to be the exact opposite. So luckily I made it to graduation and I, I graduated with all A's and B's in school. And before that I had a 12 <laughs> in one of my classes, like 12, 34, oh. I was failing everything. And I graduated with A's and B's and he had to hand me my diploma, which was oh, the my goodness. best moment of my life. That's so karma walked- working its magic right there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that, was the that said, well, now you're going to really pay for this. And he, I walked over to him and he was like, here's your diploma. I'm happy that you made it. And I literally looked at him and I said, fuck you. And I walked away. <laughs> and I walked away. That probably and felt amazing. <laughs> it felt so good. And even better is that years later, I had seen him not that long ago after I had finished my master's degree. Mm-hmm. And I seen him in the grocery store. He's like, oh, you know, hey, how are you? Like trying to act, you know, now that I'm like this career driven adult, now I get complete different, you know, treatment. And he's like, what are you up to now? And I'm like, oh, I just finished grad school, my master's, blah, blah, blah. And the funniest part about it is that I now have a higher level of education than him which is like, it's wow. better, you know, and I'm like, you doubted me and I surpassed you. Like, oh, eat that. That's Such incredible. But yeah, that was definitely, that was one of those moments that really just like fueled my motivation, you know, and, and it's a of- testament your, to your willingness to dig your heels in, get the job done and just refuse to take like his assessment as anything other than trash. For sure. I was not gonna, I did not personalize that. And I just understood like whatever he was projecting onto me, that was his own shit to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't shape who I am. And that right there, it just like really helped me understand that people are going to continue to project shit on you for the rest of your life. And like, it is your job not to personalize that and not to internalize that because it's a reflection of them. It is not a reflection of me. So absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, but it, it, it's amazing to hear how, you know, you want to talk about turning um, self-doubt into self-confidence. Yeah. You, know, you have this person who left a, an impression on you and obviously not for the right reasons, but then it's like it motivated the hell out of you to keep going and to surpass any kind of, um, you know, goal that you thought, or excuse me, limitation that you thought would be before you. So at some point you decided to go to undergrad, you went to college. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you end up getting your degree in? I, I honestly have no idea. I'm just very curious. Did you like psychology? Did you, I was gonna say, did you know you wanted to be a therapist at that point? Like at what point did you know that's what you wanted to do? So funny story. When I was in seventh grade, I had a science teacher named Miss Cradler and she always used to say to me because at such a young age, people always used to just like want to talk to me, come to me for advice and just talk my ear off. And I used to enjoy it. I used to help. I used to love helping people work through those things. And I, and I think this is ahead. probably how you attracted your friend group then probably leading into high school yeah, is that yes. you were being their therapist. Correct. <laughs> hmm. Okay. It's making sense now. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> She wrote in my um, yearbook, she said, um, you're going to make a great therapist one day. Love, Miss Cradler. And it's so funny because I've been trying to find this woman to let her know, I am a therapist now. You were right. <laughs> like, it really happened. You really spoke that into existence. So it was just so funny. Wow. But this has been, this has just been something since I was very young that has just, like, continued to grow. And I've continued to nurture it. And then I turned it into a career. So That's incredible. Yeah. I'm always curious what leads people to go into like therapy and psychology as a um, career path, because like it's fraught with challenges and um, it's a very unique position to help people, but also be like frontline to some really hard events and um, just challenging situations. So I can see, obviously you were completely set up for success to do that, given your history of dealing with people and how you manage situations. Um, but I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I mean, I think that my choice to become a therapist is, you know, a little bit deeper than that. It was more so like I've struggled significantly with a lot of my own mental health issues and I've had to yeah. navigate a lot of things independently. And I had made a promise that if I could help light up paths for other people, like I will do that. And I'm dedicated to that. And knowing how I felt be feeling so alone in so many different um, spaces or times of my life. I never want anyone to ever feel like that again. So if I can step up and hold that really shitty dark space with you, mm -hmm. I'm going to sit in it with you. I may not always be able to drain out the water that's drowning you, but hell, we're going to sit in it together and I'm going to hold you up the best that I can so we can both stay afloat. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, I don't ever want anyone to feel alone. So that's know, huge that's and powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that as well, because I think that is um, a component about becoming a therapist is that there's all of these topics that I feel like are unwritten rules that we're not supposed to talk about. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is many therapists become therapists because they have navigated significant hardship in their own life or have witnessed someone they care about immensely suffering from their own hardship uh, pertaining to mental health or whatever it is. Um, so I think that it it is good to kind of break that stigma as well, because I have heard so many people, whenever I'm really, you know, honest and cavalier about my human experience, people are like, wow, I thought therapists had it all together. <laughs> like I thought they had everything, <laughs> like, 
It's like, yeah, you hear Ashley laughing. Because <laughs> you're not human. Because therapists are not human, right? You guys are superheroes. I mean, you are. You are 100% superheroes <laughs> with superpowers. Uh, but that doesn't it's mean like, you don't get your own human experience too. Right. It's yeah. like, well, yeah, we might compartmentalize stuff so that we can support our clients, but we're still human. We're right. still experiencing our own lives and navigating our own hardships. And frankly, that's sort of an excellent segue to where we're going next in your story, Ashley. Um, because after, after you graduated with your degree in psychology and carried on with life and you were raising your daughter, uh, who is amazing, by the way. Thank you. Uh, She's <laughs> oh my goodness. They y'all y'all's relationship is just, it's very beautiful to witness and to watch. And those who get to know Ashley after this podcast episode will probably be privy to seeing that on her social media. So, Thank you. um, but with that, at some point you decided to go to grad school where you, you said like, yes, I definitely do want to become a therapist. And now I'm going to go to grad school and pursue things. And at this time in your life, you were also in a pretty serious relationship. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Um, Correct. And at some point, this relationship changed. And, and by that, I mean, you can say as you will on, on that, but at some point this relationship went from being what was perceived as healthy, safe, good relationship to not. Correct. We had, well, what I had thought was a really healthy relationship, but um, my significant other at the time was living a completely different life outside of the life that I thought we only shared together. Um, and there was a lot of just like verbal abuse um, in which he probably would gaslight me and trying to convince me that it wasn't abuse but you know looking back now I obviously can recognize that that was really unhealthy and that was abusive um lots of verbal abuse but I at that point I I craved that dynamic so significantly because being a young single So I craved that family dynamic because as a 16 year old mom, you know, 16 year old single mother, I thought that having that family dynamic was never really going to be achievable for me. It just felt like something that it was just so far in the future or if it even existed for me. So when I did find that family setting with it, with my, you know, fiance at the time, you know, he had a son, I had a daughter and we were able to like blend our families together. And, you know, for a while it was a really beautiful experience. You know, we traveled, we, you know, we were like those cookie cutter people with like, you know, the matching pajamas on Christmas. We did all oh. the fun things on things with our kids. And, you know, so I shaped, I, shaped my identity around just like being a mother and being a fiance. And mm -hmm. I craved that so much that it really just kept me in a really shitty situation because I felt like I may never get that again. Mm -hmm. um, the, the blinders were on. It yeah. sounds like you were so in love with the idea of developing your own cookie cutter dynamic that like you were raised in. I mean, it was just correct. You had that opportunity. It's it becomes very easy to um, kind of make excuses for some of the unacceptable behavior around us. Yep, correct. And because, you know, I, I did grow up in that household, right, where I had parents that had a healthy marriage and all of those things. So it just made me feel like, you know, I really wanted that, you know. So again, I had the blinders on and I just stayed in a really shitty situation. And the verbal abuse was just like really significant. 
when we were good, we were great. But the moment that Mm -hmm. he got angry or upset, I mean, the things that would come out of his mouth, I probably wouldn't even share because they are so disgusting. Um, Mm. But just like, you know, you went through that, you know, no one will ever love you. That's why your daughter's father, um, he detested you so much that he couldn't even parent his own child because of you. Like, just like really demeaning things. And wow. Unfortunately, I did personalize those things and I internalized them. Significantly. How could you not though? How could you not? Because when it's someone you love and yeah. it's someone who you trust is who they say they are, and they are saying these things, how can you not personalize those things? This Absolutely. is what makes abuse abuse. I mean, it's yeah. psychologically very damaging. And so in the middle of this, you're at, you're in grad school at the time that this is happening. So you're in grad school studying to learn how to become a therapist while being abused. Correct. I am in grad school full-time. I am working two jobs, one full-time, one part-time managing family household and experiencing, you know, this level of abuse that at that time I didn't really label it as abuse. I just, I had convinced myself that I was deserving of that, Mm -hmm. um, that, this identity that this other person was shaping for me was really like my true identity. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And that's when I just really started allowing it even more because I was convincing myself that this is what I deserved. This was true. I was the one that was wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is all I've ever really deserved. And then like chalking it up, Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, you're paying for the things that you did in the past and you were a 16 year old mom and you did do all these things. So maybe this is the best that it'll ever get. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just allowed that continuously. And I had struggled with a lot of body image issues and Mm -hmm. I never like, I always used to be in like sweatpants and baggy clothing and everything like that. And I got to this place in our relationship where I start, I wanted to take care of myself and I wanted to do better for myself. So I started losing weight. I started getting dressed up. I started doing all these things. And I remember one time for my birthday, I had put on a dress for the first time and I don't even know how long. And I was so excited to go into my bedroom because I was like, I look so amazing. Like he's going to look at me and he's going to be like, you just look so beautiful. And I remember I walked into the room Mm-hmm. And I stood there and he turned around and he just looked at me and said, how does this shirt look on me? And I was like, Ugh. you look great. And I remember I walked out and I turned around and the tears were like welling up in my eyes. And I just literally broke down. And it just like, it was just like little moments like that, where it was just like, wow, like I should have never allowed myself to endure those things. And yeah. it just got progressively worse. And it ended up in, you know, domestic violence where, you know, one night we got into a really heated argument. Our kids, both of our kids were actually in the kitchen doing homework. Um, we got into a really heated argument, which led to a physical altercation. Um, he had shoved me. Um, and then I had like shoved him back to say like, you know, like, get the fuck off of me. Like, why are you pushing me? Um, and then he ended up like shoving me in the corner and he was like holding me and like slamming my head into the wall and like doing hmm. really disgusting things. Like you're a slut, you're a whore. Um, no one's ever going to love you. People are just going to F you and leave you like just really disgusting things. And, you know, it just got really heated. And then he ended up punching me um, in my face twice it had I actually had to see a plastic surgeon because they thought that he had um knocked my eye out of the socket so my face was like deformed for um over a month Um, my eye was swollen shut my nose was deformed I couldn't open up my mouth all the way because Mm. my jaw um 
you know, and like my, my daughter and his son were in the kitchen and my daughter had taken, um, his son and like, they hid in the bedroom and my daughter will say like to this day, like yelling is a major trigger for her because she remembers how loud I was yelling, saying, please stop. Our kids are in the other room. Please stop. Our kids are in the other room. So that's a hard subject for me, but, um, yeah, so unfortunately Um, it led there. And it, and it happens so uh, quickly and quietly, I want to say, and this Mm -hmm. is something that we, and I, and I thank you so much for being willing to share, share this part of your life with us so publicly, because this takes a lot of courage to be so open about. Um, And as I'm hearing you say this, I'm also picturing like in, in understanding in the back of your mind, your internal dialogue and what you had been kind of feeding yourself from the core beliefs that were established at a young age, going back to the shop teacher in high school of this is the best you'll ever get. This is what you deserve, that you are Mm -hmm. unlovable, that you are not good enough. And these are the kind of moments that I hope that in today's episode, we can highlight as these, these kind of moments where we don't realize how our words have a ripple effect and how damaging they can be and the, the pain that it can cause and, and reinforce of people's existing uh, traumas or hardships. Um, you did not deserve that. No human being deserves that. And we haven't even got to the worst of your story, the yeah. worst part of your story. Um, I know Amber, Amber, you're not aware of this piece of her story, but we are going to talk about the fact that Ashley did get out of this relationship. Correct. Um, And before we kind of get into that, I just want to share a general statistic that it usually takes people seven attempts to leave an abusive relationship before they are able to leave successfully and live through that. So, um, with that, Ashley, how many times did it take for you to successfully get out of that relationship? Once he hit me once I packed my shit and my daughter's shit. I left and I never went back once. Wow. And it took me once because I have a daughter and I don't want to get emotional but you you are allowed to <laughs> again we are, you have our we are human yes. <laughs> we are human first we are human yeah. first and this is a very very intense subject i know this is deeply personal because it does involve your daughter and you have fought fiercely to protect her your whole life mm-hmm. so it is okay to to sit in that space feel your feels yeah. girl you know i had to take an account that your kids do not do what you say they do what you do and if i wanted to raise a young woman that valued herself and you know just valued herself and just knew who she was and was so confident in that and i needed to role model that and i knew that in order to do so in order to show her what it was to be a strong woman i had to step into my strength in that moment and i needed to say Today was the day I was done and I'm never going to look back no matter what, because I needed my daughter to understand that no one ever has the right to treat you like that. Mm. Take a minute. That's so powerful and so incredible. And what a gift to yourself and a gift to your daughter to be able to take control of that moment and remove both of you from that dangerous situation. I mean, I can only imagine. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's tough because, you know, uh, the image that he has been able to project onto other people was this like ideal stand up guy. Amazing. So, you know, the version of me that he gave to me, um, no one ever seen, you know, so it was so hard to believe that this level of ugly and evil existed within him because the image that he projected onto everyone else was this amazing guy. And and I was, I was a contributor to that, right? Because I also projected this amazing wonderful image of him so when it came time for me to actually tell my story it was like oh she's being dramatic it wasn't that serious or I can imagine him doing that but you know I say all that to say this like it was one for me and I was lucky because it's not usually like that for many women and that's why I say that my daughter is my lifeline and she motivates me in ways that I can't even begin to put in words because there's just not any words that exist to encapsulate the level of motivation and the strength that she provides me with. And I just, it was one and done. The only time that I stepped foot back in that apartment was to clean it out and get my stuff. And that was it. And that was the last time that, you know, that was it for us. Which is, I mean, that's incredible. It's incredible that you were able to get out at the time that you did and that it did take a, it was a one and done type of situation, Uh, but it wasn't entirely done, which we'll come to. you know, with that being said, for our listeners, the most dangerous time for a survivor or a victim of abuse is 18 months after leaving their abusive partner. So Ashley, while you did get out of this relationship, something happened within six months of getting out of this relationship. While again, you were working back to being a single mother, doing grad school, trying to manage all the things while coping with your own trauma and and trying to do what you could while in survival mode, which we know you cannot process trauma while actively going through trauma. So what happened within the six months or after you left? So this actual incident that we're going to touch on actually was not inflicted by him. So this was just another traumatic event that had followed up six months later. Thank you for clarifying that. I was, I did not realize that. Thank you so much for clarifying that. No, that's okay. Um, But it does kind of tie into everything and just the trauma that I've experienced moving forward. You know, after we, I had separated from him after almost nine years, we were engaged and, you know, I experienced that traumatic situation with him. I went into the most deepest, darkest place of my life that I was truly struggling with. And I had started to continue to spiral. Um, I'm a social drinker, you know, on just like birthday occasions, et cetera. But I had started to like just kind of tap in and engage into that risky behavior all over again, like drinking more frequently, going out more, just kind of living in that fast lane because I had felt so dead inside that I was yeah. doing things to make me feel alive again. Um, and obviously that was very risky, um, but I was just engaging in things that just were making me feel alive again. And unfortunately, that meant that I was making really not so great choices, um, which had ended up result. Go ahead. I was just gonna, you know, the self-medicating is something I think every single human on the planet has experienced to some degree, maybe not with substances. It could be with sex, gambling, gaming, you name it. Um, self-medicating is a lot easier than leaning into the painful as 
hell moments of healing and you have to be in the right space to, to do that. And so it just sounds like you kind of went back to what was familiar, not necessarily what was healthy, but familiar in the context of, you know, what the, the kind of behaviors that you laid out for us in terms of high school, uh, just yeah. kind of going back to, you know, kind of partying or, you know, fitting in, in that sense to kind of deal yeah. with what you were going through, which is really common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, I, I didn't know who I was at that point. And I was, you know, I was trying to figure it out. And I was hanging around with crowds that were really reinforcing how I was feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really hanging out with my regular group of friends, because they were all still doing really well in healthy relationships. So instead, I was engaging with people that were, mm-hmm. you know, spiraling too, just to reinforce my behavior and kind of validate me like, hey, it's okay, because we're all doing shitty things right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, well- Shame has an amazing way of influencing how we live out our lives. I mean, that emotion is very powerful. Absolutely. So I had, you know, just experienced that traumatic event with my ex. And then um, six months later, I ended up being um, stabbed multiple times um, by, um, I wouldn't use the word friend, but she was actually a a friend at the time, um, which obviously she was extremely unwell. Um, but I was not, you know, aware of that at that time. And we had ended up, um, going out to actually celebrate one of my friends, um, promotions at her job. And this girl had accompanied us and I was already starting to distance myself because that's when I was starting to step out of that toxic phase, because I realized like you're going down this dark path. You're, you're, you know, you're on this bender right now. You really need to get off. Um, so I was aware enough to realize that that's not where I wanted to go again. So I was separating myself and cutting ties with people that were still engaging in those behaviors. Um, and she happened to be one of them. And, um, you know, we ended up going out and a verbal argument um, ended up taking place, which had turned physical, um, which had resulted in me being stabbed multiple times, which I'm sure you can see the huge scar on my throat. I don't oh know how gosh. visible it is. Wow. Um, on but... your throat. You, she's, you were stabbed in your throat and other places. Correct. Um, twice on my throat and then once in my arm, um, the oh large scar. And then I have a smaller one. Um, she had hit my jugular. So I had two blood transfusions, seven days in the trauma unit. Um, I did, my lungs collapsed um, while I was in surgery and I needed to be intubated. Um, because I was literally dying. Um, So that was unfortunately another traumatic event that had taken place all well, again, still in grad school, still working two, it was two full-time jobs at this point, because I had to, you know, support my daughter, because I was no longer splitting or sharing a household with someone else. Um, So all of this was still happening, you know, at the same time. Um, And then I almost died. Uh, thank God I did not. Um, that was definitely a turning point in my life uh, where I was like, this is again, just reinforcing that uh, the notion that I already had in my mind that this is not the environment that you need to be around and you really need to like get back on track again because yeah. I had mm-hmm. fallen off track, you know, which led me into this, you know, obviously a predicament that almost resulted in me in me dying, um, which was unfortunately those choices directly impacted my daughter and, you know, put her in an experience where she experienced trauma for a second time right after that DV incident Mm -hmm. and then me almost being stabbed to death. Um, So that was really traumatic for her, obviously. Um, And that was, 
I don't really know how to describe it because I, I can't really say that I fully healed from that situation because unfortunately I was still in survival mode and I, I mean, I literally was stabbed, almost died and I was supposed to take 12 weeks off. That was the recommendation for healing, not just physically, but mentally as well. Yeah. Um, I went back to work, both jobs after two weeks and back into grad school right after literally almost being stabbed to death. I took no time off from anything because life didn't grant me the opportunity to be able to slow down or, you know, I I didn't have that luxury because I had a child that I had to support. I had money that I needed to make. So I didn't have that luxury where I could really heal. So trying to process all of that at the same time while still. You can't, you just can't. It's not possible. Can't. And this is where, you know, I will not get on a soapbox about this, but this ties into the very systemic issues that must change when it comes to our access to care for mental health, for physical health. I mean, that is absolutely unbelievable to think that here you are going through this near-death experience, and because you have to make ends meet, you got to get back to work within two weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's just, you can't even begin to fathom that. No, absolutely not. There's... So you did it apparently. And I honestly feel like I met you not too soon thereafter because you had started um, a a portion of internship or something within grad school. It was the same year. It was the same year that I started. So when I started at New Beginnings, it was the same year that that incident had taken place. Wow. Yeah. So how do you, I'm going to ask a question. Let me figure out how to formulate it. How do you walk away from a near-death experience after two weeks, rejoin your two full-time jobs and caring for your child and finishing grad school and starting an internship? And like, how do you do that? What did that look like for you mentally, physically, emotionally? Like you had to be thinking, of course, like, I just have to push through because I have to do the things. But I guess my question is like, how do you go from that to where you are now? Like what, what was that point of, I'm no longer just going to survive. I'm no longer just going to push through because it's what's expected of me. I'm going to thrive and create light for other people because in that dark space, I don't see how you see that end point. During that time, I definitely dissociated a lot. I felt like I was a robot living in a dreamlike state where I was just going through the motions every day, just getting what, you know, doing what I needed to do and just like, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. And I was really just avoidant. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling my feelings, but again, I wasn't granted that luxury to really be able to process it in real time and just like filter it out and and heal from that while I'm going through it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really just... I just put myself in this like robotic state where I was just pushing through and doing what I need to do. And it was at the time where I felt like I was so detached from reality that I was starting to sink into this depressive state where I was just isolating um, from everyone. I was just like doing what I need to do, but I wasn't hanging out with friends. I don't even really feel like I was being a present mom at that time either because Again, I just felt like I was so submerged into survival mode that I I just, Mm -hmm. I wasn't feeling anything. I was just trying to survive and get by. Um, 
And just of note, this is, and I'm sorry to interrupt here, but just for a timeline for our our listeners to piece together, this was right before the pandemic, basically. Mm -hmm. So you had entered your own state of just to your, your word choice of, you know, disassociate, being disassociated most of the time, very depressed, being robotic, just trying to get through very isolated. And then the pandemic hits, which isolates the entire universe. Yeah. Yes. So it just really felt like, I mean, excuse my language, but a real like, what the fuck moment? And when does it end? Because it was just. Thus, what the fox. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Those are the what the fox moments, friends. Oh, it was just back to back. But I, I, it really just continues to tie into my daughter because the moment that I feel like I'm not being a good mother to her, it always is my wake up call. And, mm-hmm. and she always just breathes life back into me without her even noticing that she's doing so. And I, I have to say that I have this ability to when I realize that I'm really so close to the edge and I'm about to jump off that I can pull myself back. And typically I always say that my daughter is my anchor. She, she has kept me here in many ways, like literally I mean, after I was stabbed, I remember the nurse when I was laying in bed and I was literally dying and they're all working on me. And the nurse said to me, like, she was trying to keep me awake to stimulate me. And she's like, you know, do you have kids? And I wasn't really coherent. I was like, I have a daughter. And she was like, well, I need you to think of your daughter right now because I kept saying, I want to go to sleep. I want to go to sleep. And she said, baby, you can't go to sleep. She said, I need you to think about your daughter right now. And I need you to fight for her because those eyes need to see her again. And like, the the strength that comes from that and the way that my daughter has literally kept me alive in every way, shape and form. So I, I pull to her and I wish sometimes I didn't have to lean on her so heavily, but I, I pull so much love and strength from her and she literally just keeps me going and she keeps me alive. And that really just put me in my, in this path where I'm like, I need to be the best for her and I need to be the best for me too. And I think that that was another moment, right? Is that when you're a mom, you live for your children so much. And I realized that sometimes only living for her was also a disservice to her. I needed to live for me because how can I teach my daughter to live if I'm not living, right? I can't just shape my identity so closely around her and shape it so much around her that I'm not actually living for me because then how am I teaching her to live for her? So I'm sorry. That's okay. Full stops. (laughs) Ooh, that is so powerful and so true. And all I kept thinking while you were talking is that, you know, God really sends angels in all shapes and sizes, right? Like clearly your daughter is that angel for you and that guiding light to keep you here in this moment. And I will apologize. My face is leaking. (laughs) your eyes a little wet over there amber man my whole face is wet i don't even i got the ugly cry going um it's a powerful it is a powerful part of your story and what a gift to yourself and how you can create such a wonderful bond and wonderful story for your daughter to show her like yeah life can be shit sometimes mm-hmm. and yes you can overcome that and you can create something beautiful from whatever is going on around you cuz i mean nothing about your story has been easy despite the fact that you like to say you had a cookie cutter house and a cookie cutter family <laughs> yeah. and like all the things like you have come up against some very large obstacles um and it just 
it's amazing to see the woman you are today, despite everything that has tried to derail you. Thank you. Sorry. That's like (laughs) such a hard subject. Um, but yeah, you know, I just, I just made the choice to continue to push through. And I realized that my ability to adapt and adjust and, and transform into whoever I need in that moment is unmatched. You know, mm. one thing I have is this level of resilience that has literally kept me in the game and saved my life, regardless of the shit that I've experienced mm. in my life. You know, people will always say to me like, well, how the hell did you get through it? And sometimes I can't really say that there's words to really capture how I did. I just decided that like, I'm just going to get shit done no matter what. Like mm-hmm. I have to trust myself and trust my abilities and just push the fuck forward because I I can't throw in the towel. One, I can't throw in the towel for me and I can't throw in the towel because I'm all she has. So if I throw in the towel, she got nothing. I feel like if we were to look up in the dictionary, do you remember in high school where you would like, put people's pictures next to words in the dictionary. Maybe it was just yeah. um, if we were to look up, like do the damn thing, I feel like your picture would be right next to <laughs> that you. because like <laughs> at every stage, you're just like, okay, this is not it. I got to do, I got to make a change. I got to do the thing. Um, and it's just, it's an incredible ability to be quite literally in the shit and pull yourself out of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's like all of the snaps and claps and all the things for you, because that is just outstanding. I mean, it has not been easy and it has come with literally like trying to commit suicide with binge drinking, being hypersexual, making risky decisions. I mean, it is not this fucking ideal way that it's happened. You know, as a human, I've definitely done some really shitty things, but Mm -hmm. I've just... I've always been able to kind of circle back and just be like, this is not it for you, Ash. Like, this is not it for you. This is not it for G. My daughter's name is Gianna. I call her G, but like, this is just not it for us. I'm like, you have to do better. And I always wanted to be that role model for my daughter. And it's just always been able to just, that was the foot in my ass to -hmm. like, just get back on track. So, I mean, with all of that said, I still managed to do all these things and I graduated from grad school and I... You know, really, you did. (laughs) Yeah, grad school. Thank God that was hell too, but it was worth it in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, go ahead. Sorry, I did. I'm so sorry about that. I was just thinking, like, on top of graduating, you've you've done so much more than just graduate. And I don't want to say just as if that's like a you know to simplify what grad school and your experience was like. But you didn't just graduate from grad school. You have now gone on to Uh, become a school adjustment counselor to essentially become your own D Anderson who motivated Mm -hmm. you in your own high school experience. Yes, Uh, You are a therapist, a trauma informed therapist uh, where we work at the same place and a life coach. And I would say what, what I love most is this new venture that you're on that I would love to dedicate some time in exploring and having you talk more about, which is, you know, your role as the, founder and owner of extraordinary women what is that tell us that is my baby that is my inclusive space for women to be unapologetically raw about their experiences as women in general you know there were so many groups that were just like focused towards like a specific population um you know female entrepreneurs or you know motherhood or something like that like no fuck that shit like let's talk about it all Because at the end of the day, we're all united because we're women. 
and we have shared experiences, no matter what background we come from, what career path, what age we are, we are united as one and we share so much of the same shit. And I feel like as women, like we're constantly filtering things out or, you know, we just can't be unapologetically raw with the shit that we go through. And I needed that space. I needed to create it. I needed it for me. I know other women needed it. And it w- I felt like it was my duty to, to make yeah. that happen, you know? And it's been, I mean, this is out of everything. And I, out of graduating from college and everything like this has been my favorite thing so far. Um, and it's been so beautiful to create this space where women just say whatever they need to say, whether it's, I mean, I've had women that have never told anyone that they've been molested or raped mm-hmm. speak for the first time in a group of 20 women sharing their story, like just, I mean, sharing the ugliness and just being, feeling so safe to do so and being okay with being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get goosebumps because it's just been such an amazing experience for me and watching these women. I mean, these women have come, I'm sorry, my dog is barking. These women have come and they have been like, you know, I've always wanted to go back to school. I, now I attend your group. I just started college again, or I left that ex, or I had that conversation with my boss because he was trying to lowball me on my pay rate. And I found inspiration from your group. And now I'm like, no, that shit like I'm I need to be paid this like you know the inspiration and it's not even just what you can gain from it but it's also what you can give to other women you know and just being able to share those experiences one another unapologetically and just being so raw and uncut with it has just been such a healing experience for myself and everyone involved and I mean I I am just so excited and I'm so happy that I've been able to to create this space for other women I absolutely love that. And my favorite part about you sharing that is how much you lit up as soon as you started talking about it. Like we've been talking for almost an hour now. And like, I just physically saw the energy like whoosh out from you as you started talking about this project and what it means to you and what it means to the community of women who get to participate. Um, that is extraordinary. I would love to know, and I'm sure the listeners would love to know, how do you plug into this community? What does that look like? So I will admit I'm not that tech savvy, so I do not have a website or anything like that, but I do have a Facebook page, Extraordinary Women, um, which I share updates about our groups or, you know, just create like content where we can kind of go back and forth with one another and discuss maybe topics or experiences that we're having that week or whatever the case may be. Um, I did have monthly groups, but it was, you know, kind of a lot doing the monthly groups. So me and the members that attend had decided to do bi-monthly groups, which was like totally okay. Um, So we have bi-monthly groups the third week of every month, um, which is located, it's at 1 p.m. Same time, one to five. We always go over because we never know how to stop talking. Um, That's amazing, though. That's a great time. time, One to five and then some rollover is fabulous for in-person meetups, right? This is in-person in Worcester. Yep. And I mean, the group size has definitely fluctuated. We went from 40 to 10 to 20, etc. But the the quality of the group, regardless of the numbers, has Mm -hmm. never changed. Um, of whether it's not. A they're extraordinary or- women. <laughs> yeah. So it's been amazing. And we, you know, we do fun stuff. I have a professional photographer come to just kind of capture some really powerful photos of us. Um, he, he is a male and I was very strategic in my choice with choosing a male photographer to capture these powerful moments as women, because once upon a time, 
that would have never been a thing. So having a man, first of all, I hired him. So having a man, (laughs) right, I hired him come take these pictures of powerful women that are engaging in such, you know, serious topics and stuff like that. I feel like there's just so much power in that in order for us to really change the game too. We have to make it inclusive, bring these men into that support women, you know, so we can change these ideas surrounding women and all of these things that we're discussing in our group. So um, that was really amazing to see and my group members love having, you know, the man and he's like serving us drinks and fix, I love it. Us and <laughs> he's serving you guys. He's serving yeah, he's you amazing. guys. I he's like amazing. that. <laughs> yes, he's brought these photos too. So he's absolutely amazing. He's like the best photographer. But he does leave once we start delving into like the you yeah, know the really serious yeah. topics, just because it is a safe space for women. But overall, he's amazing. Um, yeah, but yeah, we. It's just the best. So for our listeners, I do want y'all to know that Ashley is located in Worcester, Massachusetts. So that's central Massachusetts, if you're not familiar. So all you New Englanders, please look her up on Facebook. We will include the page in the show notes so that you can do that. And I also just want to insert a quick plug about how Extraordinary Women is doing their first ever Christmas toy drive this year. And uh, that you guys are accepting both monetary donations as well as unwrapped gifts for y'all to distribute among the community. And if y'all have any questions on how to connect with Ashley or to contribute to this process, can you please let them know what number they need to text? So you guys would text 774-312-8908. And that's my direct contact number. Wonderful. So 774 three one two eight nine zero eight and that is for the uh, christmas toy drive that extraordinary women is you know for overseeing for the holidays which is amazing so i mean you it's like no wonder you haven't had time to do this monthly it's like you are managing so many things you're you're a therapist you're a school adjustment counselor you're a life coach you've got this support group going on every two months so i mean you are you are changing the game and you are also creating that ripple effect in the community in a super powerful way. I am so hella proud of you on so many levels to see, you know, from the day that I met you to where you are now and how far you have come is just, it is extraordinary. (laughs) Thank you. And I, it's just, it's really, it's been a ride, but ultimately the view from the, the view from here has been really beautiful and I'm happy to be able to share this really raw, uncut version of me with a large community, you know, just to help people realize that like the shit that you went through doesn't define you and you really can pull through and you can turn that ugly into beauty. And, you know, it's all good. If you want it, if you're hungry enough, you'll get it. Amen. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your story and be willing to let us kind of step into that with you and step through it with you to really understand what you've accomplished, what you've been through, um, because I think it's so important um, to for all of us to remember what we see on the outside has very little to do with what's actually happened underneath, right? Oh, yeah. So um, I love that. Your story is absolutely powerful. Your daughter is blessed beyond measure to have you as a mother. Um, I know you've spoken about how blessed you are to have her, but that that is definitely a two-way street, my friend. Mm-hmm. I think she knows that. And it's, it's um, <laughs> she not, she didn't always, but I think it's been amazing to watch her just really appreciate me and just really starting to understand um, 
the the shit that I've put into this, you know, yeah. for the both of us. And, you know, not that it's ever about her, but, you, you know, feeling like she needs to repay me or anything like that. But mm-hmm. just having that acknowledgement and understanding, like, mm-hmm. you know, life hasn't always been easy for mom, but mom always made it happen. That's right. Well, as she gets older, as we know, her, her brain is starting to catch up. I mean, mm-hmm. she's, she's now preparing and looking at different colleges and all that stuff. So it's like, she's, <sighs> she's starting to grow up and she's starting to see mom as a human mom, as a woman mom beyond her role as mom. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm glad that she loves this version of me too, because that has been so important to me. Your kids get old enough and they start realizing who you are as a person and I wanted her to be like, be able to identify me as a really great, genuine person. And I'm glad that she sees me in that way. And you are a great, genuine person. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how could she not? Like, she she would have to be blind to not see that. Um, Thank but, you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. What a joy to talk with you, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Lindsay, thank you for once again introducing me to someone really, really un- incredible and just allowing us this opportunity to share in what is um, an incredible story. Yes, absolutely. So thank you to all of our listeners to tuning in. If you want to get to know Ashley and her organization a little bit more in depth, remember to check out the show notes. If you like today's episode, don't forget to click follow and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And as always, we will talk to you next Tuesday. Thank Bye, everyone. You. Bye. Thanks, Ashley. You're welcome. Thank you. And we all say everything is going to be just fine. It's going to fall into place. The sun is going to set on your terrible day.